Well, it is so good to be back with you, and I've uh, been gone for a couple of weeks, and it's exciting to, you know, share this time with you and kind of be back, and it was kind of interesting. The, the message that I'm sharing with you was something that I wrote about a month ago, not knowing I was going to have this crazy journey that I did, and so God just kind of set it all up. I I told God I didn't need an example in my life to preach this message, but I guess uh, here I am. Who's in control? That's a pretty important question. Who is in control? I, I think that's an important question because we are pretty quick to say the Lord is, but then I'm going to challenge you to examine a little more closely. Is the Lord really in control? Because I discovered in my life as I walked through this journey that there are areas that God was not in control. And now I've had to turn it over to him. You know, it's interesting because you know, we, we're looking at the amazing promises of God. We're going to see some of them today. But have you ever thought about the fact, because normally if I were to say to you, losing control, is it a good thing or a bad thing? You have to answer that, but you're, you're probably thinking, well, that, that kind of seems bad. I mean, you think about it, is it, I don't know, is it positive or negative to lose control? I've even had people say, you know, I think we need to lose control, you know, and I'm not sure what they mean by that, but wouldn't you agree that if you are out of control, that's probably a negative, right? I would think negative, or some of you might relate to this, although not maybe in how I say it, but maybe you're a control freak, you know, um, maybe you like things a certain way, and it's your way, or the highway, right? Or... I think this one, that that'd probably be a negative. I think this one is probably more real, is I'm in control of my life. My guess is my conversation in the case, a lot of us might see that as positive. I need to be in control of my life. So the question is, when is losing control a good thing? Is it ever a good thing? See, being in control in our culture is considered positive. Being out of control, even asking the question is a positive for us as believers, but it's counter-cultural to the world we live in. We're being radical when we say losing control in the way that I'm going to share with you is a good thing. Some of you I'm going to challenge you because I'm going to ask the question, are you a controlling person? You know, controlling people like to drive the car. So when you're going someplace... A controlling person wants the steering wheel. Can you say amen to that? Oh, come on. Say amen to that. That's most of us, right? I, I get in the car, I want the steering wheel because I know I drive better than all of you. <laughs> not true. Not true. You know, I think the idea is that controlling people, I see controlling people when you walk in their house, everything is perfect and neat. Like everything has its spot. Everything is just the way it's supposed to be. I mean, it's, it's overly organized, kind of. You know, the extreme of someone who is probably controlling, you'll notice because they have carpet in their garage. Some of you know what I'm talking about because you have carpet in your garage. Um, you know, this kind of extreme control, we'd probably call it OCD stuff. I learned a lot about control over the uh, last several weeks because my heart a month ago was healthy. There was no indication of anything. I, I would say my heart seemed unbreakable. 
But then over a couple weeks ago, my heart stopped three times and fortunately restarted. But as one uh, technician looked at my heart and a little nervous and were asking me how I was doing, I said, well, how are you doing? I said, well, I'm not doing very well because your heart went to zero and you flatlined. But you're back. He's a man of that. I learned that uh, I would need a pacemaker. I have a pacemaker. I have a 2022 pacemaker. So I'm good to go, you know. And uh, it's amazing. What they discovered is my heart and the atrium and the ventricle nodes that I won't go into a lot of detail, but I learned a lot about this. They stopped communicating. And when they stop communicating, your heart stops beating. Oh, there are so many great illustrations in that. Like when you stop communicating in marriage, your marriage stops. <laughs> Relationships can stop. Communication is so important. My heart, I discovered communication is really, really critical. So I have an electrical problem in my heart that apparently I had four cardiologists looking at me, giving me tests. Good news, there's no damage to my heart muscle. All the numbers came out. It's just, for whatever reason, I, I asked the doctor, why? What can we do? We need to fix this. And he said, absolutely, we're going to give you a pacemaker. I said, no, 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 we need to fix this. He said, there is no fix. Well, what's wrong? Isn't there something I can take, something I can do? There must be something. And he said, we don't know why this is happening. Maybe it's genetics, maybe who knows what. But the fact is, you have two choices. We do this, or your heart stops. So, well, here I am. You know what choice I took. I learned that even with amazing technology, now I've got to rely on this device to keep my heart beating, and I have no control over the system. Uh, there's nothing I can do. I am totally dependent upon all the technology and the medical system and all that's happening. And the good news is it seems to be working pretty well. So we'll, we'll see how things go. But, but this really caused me to pause and think a lot and reflect. Now, I want to tell you this. I don't have, there's a lot of reflections still coming down the road. I've got a lot that I don't have figured out. But, you know, I do know one thing. Relationships are really important. I've discovered through this journey being in ICU for about three, three days and then in PCU and then eventually home, um, I have someone to thank. His name is Jesus. Amen. And I learned a lot about that. I don't say that glibly. I mean, there are times when I really was wondering if I was going to go home, but Jesus was there. And I have an amazing wife. You know, it's really nice to marry someone who's a cardiac care nurse. Can you say amen to that? I told Lois, you finally earned your keep. <laughs> no, I didn't really say that, but <laughs> I wouldn't be walking right now, I think, if I said that. I have an amazing family around me. Uh, my son, Josh, who's been tremendous support. My son, Danny, who... He flew in from California, from Travis Air Force Base, to be with me, and my son David. I mean, they are just amazing. And, 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 and my family here, you know, often I, I might say, well, my team. 
Well, Jana, the pastors, uh, they're all family. They're not just people I work with. I don't know if you understand that. Maybe your workplace isn't like that. My workplace is. These people are, I really count on them. They count on me. We are family. And so I've learned how to value that. My close friends, like Richard and Debbie and John and Deanna, they were there for me. They were there more than than you could imagine in conversation and prayer. And, and you know what? You were there. Yes. I know. I received cards and emails. I heard the stories of your prayer. And I'm alive today because you prayed. Yes. So please hear this. I love you. Thank you. It means a lot to know that you did that. And I know that you were concerned. And God answered your prayer. And so now I'm learning all about pacemakers, and it's so great to hear people share their stories. I've had more people say, oh, you got one too now, and then they share their story, and I'm going, wow, and it's usually really positive, it's good news, a lot of education, there's a lot, but it's a lot of growth and faith and trust in Jesus. It's going to be a lifetime of continuing to trust and have faith in Jesus, and now I've got to learn to have faith and trust in this device. I'm set up for success. My heart got out of control. I lost control. And now I'm surrendering control to Jesus. I've been thinking a lot about uh, why we want to control, and I hope to touch a nerve in some of your lives. I hope to see this resonate with you because I discovered over the years some of us like control because we don't feel very safe. You know, when you don't feel safe, one of the things we do as human beings is we try to capture control. And there's a lot of reasons why we may not feel safe in relationships or in situations. We may not feel safe because of what's happened in our our lives. Right now, I think a lot of us don't feel safe. There's too much going on. I mean, all the things that you and I hear and listen to, I think the result is we are becoming a controlling people. And now we're in a battle of control versus faith. We want to feel safe. We want to feel secure. We want to feel sane. And so as a result, we try to control because we're afraid. We're afraid of failing. Or maybe some of us are afraid of succeeding because of what that might mean. Some of us are afraid of intimacy, and so we control relationships. We're afraid of being transparent, so we control what we say and do. Some of us manipulate, not because we want to be manipulators, but we want to be safe. And so we manipulate the world around us. Some of you have been so hurt, so wounded, because of what's happened somewhere in your life, that now you want to control. I understand that. And what I'm about to ask you, what the Word of God, what the Spirit of God is about to instruct us in, is that we need to allow things to become out of control so Jesus can become in control. Because that's a good thing. There's some amazing promises that God has given us. One of the first ones that come from Proverbs 19.21 is that, he says, you can make many plans. And I hear the word saying it's okay to make plans. But the Lord's purpose will prevail. Can you say amen to that? I want the Lord's purpose to prevail, not my plans. But that becomes a battle of control. 
my plans versus God prevailing work. Again, many of us think that we need more control because things feel dangerous. But you know what's really dangerous? Listen to me. Controlling is dangerous because it replaces faith. A lot of us have replaced our faith with control. And we've done that in our marriages, in our families, with our friends, our children. I had someone who their child got kind of out of control and they were apologizing. And I said, why are you apologizing? This is normal. Kids do this. But they said, I'm so embarrassed. I said, don't be embarrassed. But I could tell things got out of control. And so I could, I could understand that. Um, career, school, health can feel like it's out of control. And then we want to control it. It's interesting because there in, in Scripture I discovered two places where Jesus said this statement, I'm amazed. And they speak to what we're talking about. Two times in Scripture, Jesus said the words, well, I'm really amazed at this. Let's look at the first one. Mark chapter 6, if you have your Bibles or you might want to turn there, the first six verses. And in Mark chapter 6, we see what in the title of my Bible says, Jesus rejected. I mean, I can't imagine that, but let's look at this for a second. Because in Mark chapter 6, verse 1, Jesus left uh, that part of the country and returned with disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. Jesus went to be home. The next Sabbath, so he gets home, shows up, If you will, the next uh, Sabbath, Shabbat service is going on. He began teaching the synagogue. And look what it says. And many who heard him were what? Astonished. Like, this is amazing. Look at what he's saying. I mean, this is like, I mean, the idea here is, wow. And then they asked, well, where did you get, where did he get all the wisdom and power to perform such miracles. Now we get a a deeper understanding because he's not only sharing wisdom, but miracles are happening around him. That's a pretty big deal. Now I want you to see something very important here. Because there's something that's happening because they knew who Jesus was. They knew Jesus was this kid who grew up in this place and they knew that uh, he was, what his job was, what he did. We'll see that in a moment. But here's an interesting question. They may have knew, knew him, but did they know him? A little play on words there. Did they really know Jesus? See, I think that's part of the battle in this post-pandemic church that we're moving into, is a lot of us, we would say, well, yeah, I get it, Jesus but do you really know Jesus? Because what I believe the Spirit of God is speaking to the new church that we're moving into is that we're going to know Jesus. We're going to know Jesus in a way that we have not yet known God. And that's going to be a big transition. I'm going to push you as your pastor to know Jesus, to know the Spirit of God. But I want you to see what happened in this moment when he goes home, verse 3. So here's Jesus, and they say, He's just the carpenter. Can you hear that tone? I mean, here he is teaching, performing miracles, 
great things are happening, you think they, that they would just be like, wow, this is so cool. Instead, their thoughts are, he's just the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and, and Simon, and his sisters live right here among us. We know his whole family. We know, we know them, and they're, they're nothing special. He's just a guy who does, when he says carpentry, he probably fixed some things, but he was probably doing a lot of stone cutting. And look what it says. I, I, I underlined this in bold. I would do the same. The next sentence. And they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Now, I read that and I thought, this is kind of like a contradiction. They were astounded at his wisdom. They were astounded at the fact he performed miracles. And at the same moment, they're deeply offended and refuse to believe in him. And actually, that's a very strong word in the Greek. If you look it up in your Greek dictionary, the word offended, you would discover that it means they were angry at Jesus. They were, they were, they were rejecting Jesus. It was a very, they, weren't, they were more than deeply offended. Like This was a big emotional moment. And what has Jesus done? He shared wisdom. He healed diseases. He performed miracles. How is it that you become offended at that? And then look what it says in verse 6. Here is the first time that we see this statement. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Why? What happened? I believe this is something that is a message to the church today. They were very familiar with him, and that familiarity breeds contempt. And that familiarity brought them to the place that although they were astonished, they were offended. Who does he think he is? I want to challenge you because I believe that's part of what's happened in the church today over the pandemic, over the things where we have not perhaps been well taught or have not processed things well, I believe some of you have familiarity with Jesus, and the result is you're offended by Jesus. Now, you might not say it that way, but I think there is a struggle, because what has Jesus done? What is, right now, the church, we're the bad guys in the world we live in today. Have you noticed that? The church, why? What do we do? What, what is so horrible about us helping people, sending shoeboxes out, helping people have eternal life, giving them wisdom, practical ways of living life, helping them to be successful? What is so bad? Why would they be offended at those things? As, and yet they're astonished at the work of the church. I think, again, it comes back to this familiarity. I, I don't think any of us set out to eliminate God from our lives. But I believe what happens is our pursuit for control, to feel safe and secure, is easier than having faith. I think you, you make a choice. Everyone in here does. Faith or control. Man, hear me, I love you, and we know each other. Don't lose sight because we're familiar. But the reality is some of us battle with control because it's easier to control than have faith. And I see that as a battle in the church today. God 
wants us to trust him, really trust him for all the areas of our life. And I think that becomes kind of the struggle. I think for a lot of us, controlling is our default. When things get kind of serious or we get a little bit overwhelmed, we default to control. We want to kind of batten down the hatches, tighten the screws. We want to get everything lined up because we, we want to be safe. We want to do what we need to do. I get that. I understand that. But I want you to understand if that's your default, then you will limit God in your life. And the church today has limited itself from what I believe God wants to do. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. The Lord has made a promise that if he is in control, then your life will be fulfilling. It will have purpose. You will know peace. Life is not going to be perfect, but you're going to know something so much more than you could ever have. I'm still going to have a pacemaker, but God's still in control. I'm going to take some medicine, but God is still in control. And all, through all the things I went through, as much as I felt everything was out of control, God was in control. And I got to tell you, I, I had to relearn some of this. I had to go back and go, wow, I didn't realize, God, that there's a lot of places in my life that I have had control, and now I need to give this over to you. Um, that's every human being's journey. You know, you're going to let go of some things, and then you're going to grab them back again. And you're going to hear me say, as your pastor who loves you, let go again. And I'm going to keep going with this message for you until you... Because that's the journey of human beings. Is that it, it, it's something. Now, I want you to see another passage where, once again, Jesus said he was amazed. In Matthew chapter 8. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 8. That's the first book in the uh, New Testament. And chapter 8 is uh, just this amazing moment. Jesus is doing some very powerful things. He's been doing a lot of miracles. And, I mean, you think about it, he just finished cleansing a leper. I mean, some crazy things have been going on. And we're going to pick it up at verse 5 because we're going to see Jesus arrived in Capernaum. Capernaum is like a cool place. A lot happened in, in, in God's Word in Capernaum. Matter of fact, when we go to Israel in February, we're going to go to Capernaum. And you're going to go walk in some of the places where some really cool things happened. At this point, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him. So he's come to Jesus, and he says, Lord, a respectful term, right? My young servant lies in bed, paralyzed, and racked in pain. Strong language there. This, this, this young servant, probably a kid, a teenager, is really hurting, big time. And the centurion has probably done everything he knows what to do to kind of help him get through this, relieve it. And now he comes to Jesus. This poor kid, paralyzed, racked in pain. Now, what makes this important is the centurion was a man who understood control because he was all about control. He knew control because that was his job. He was a centurion, which is really meaning a hundred. He had at least a hundred men under him and his command. He had people over him. He had people under him. This guy knew about command authority. 
He was the kind of guy, when he said, go here, you go there. He had literally the power of life and death. If you argued with him, you could lose your life. He was that powerful. And he, matter of fact, when he showed up, I have a feeling the Jews all got really uncomfortable. Because he came all dressed in his centurion stuff. He walked in there and they all kind of got all the way thinking this guy is dangerous. Why is he here? Can you imagine? I'm just wondering, what were they thinking when he walked into this moment? Because literally the Jewish culture and the Roman culture was a conflict at this time, kind of like today. Again, going back, verse 5 and 6, My young servant lies uh, in bed paralyzed, racked with pain. Jesus said... I'll come and heal him. How cool is that? Right? I mean, he's about to do the same thing he did in his hometown, only now he's in Capernaum. He's going to perform a miracle. I will come and heal him. The officer, the centurion, said, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come into my home. Now, that's obviously a real sense of humility. But he understood about who Jesus was. He heard about it. He, there was something that connected with him. And look what he says, just say the word from where you are, standing in this spot, and my servant will be healed. And now look what he says. Here's how I know this. Because I am under the authority of my superior officers, and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go, and they go, come, and they come. If I say to my slave, do this or that, they do that. See, the centurion is really affirming the fact that you, Jesus, are my commanding officer. You are the one in charge. I don't have control over what's happening with my servant, but you do. You are the one who can do a miraculous thing. And everyone's just kind of, I think they're in awe at this moment because they're hearing this conversation. I kind of believed at this moment, I was kind of imagining in my head, I do this when I'm studying you know, I see the people around, I see everything going on, I see Jesus starting to walk away. And just as he's about to walk away, and it's like, come on, let's go, Centurion says, stop, basically. You don't have to take another step, Jesus. Jesus turns and he looks at this guy and says, you know, the Centurion looks at Jesus and says, I know who you are. I understand authority. All you need to do is speak a word, and it will be done. Can you say amen to that? That's the call of God in our lives to understand God just needs to speak a word, but he needs to be the authority in your life. Not just someone familiar in your life, but in authority over your life. And that becomes part of the challenge. Look what he says in verse 10. When Jesus heard this, and what he heard was pretty amazing because it says he was amazed. Turning to the crowd, he said, I tell you the truth, I haven't seen faith like this in all the land of Israel. Ouch. I mean, here is a Roman centurion officer, a Gentile, a pagan, who has more faith, demonstrated more faith than all of the nation of Israel. And Jesus was amazed. He was amazed that when he went home of the unbelief of the people he loved and cared and lived with. But he was also amazed at the faith of the centurion. Here's what I learned. This is a promise from the Lord that he will respond to our faith. 
When you have faith, something changes because the Word has said, your faith has made you well. Your faith has saved you. Because of your faith, it will be granted. Your faith has healed you repeatedly over and over again. Not your actions, not your control, not your science, not your politics. Your faith is what healed you. And the church needs to make a paradigm shift realizing that is the answer to a lot of things in our lives. But it may mean that we need to lose control. Here's my take. Jesus isn't very impressed by our control. I don't think he was really impressed by the centurion soldier and his control. He was impressed by his faith. Faith is something that you just, you give God all the control. But here's the thing. Familiarity breeds faithlessness. You've got to ask yourself the question, have you become too familiar, too casual? You need to be like centurion, brings respect and honor and, and look at and realize this is Jesus, the Lord of all the universe that you are talking to. This is not a casual conversation. This is not just your buddy. This is not just someone that you can just kind of, you know, hang out with and, and, and not understand. He is the one over all things. And the church has lost that cutting edge of His authority in our lives. I am convinced of how much more could happen in the new church if we take hold of understanding faith and the authority of Jesus in our lives. Can you say amen to that? Jesus promises to honor people of faith. Because here's what I know, faith pleases God. How do I know that? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. So you see, it's impossible to please God without faith. There's a lot of things that could be said right here, but one statement, it's impossible to please God without faith. And he goes on and says, and anyone who wants to come to him must believe that there is a God and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. We are going to be a church post-pandemic that sincerely seek God. You and I are not going to play games. You and I are going to take our walk seriously. We are going to seek after God and become a place of great faith. Now, faith, you don't, it's like, wow, could I ever have enough faith? Well, of course you do, right? That's why we have Matthew 17 to help us understand. It. You don't have enough faith, but Jesus told them, I tell you the truth, if you just had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, it would move, and nothing would be impossible. Can you say amen of that? We're talking about the smallest seed in existence at that time. That's all you need. You don't need mountain-sized faith. You just need a little bit of faith. Sometimes a small amount of faith is powerful. Let me illustrate that. This is my wallet. You have a wallet, take it out. Come on, take your wallet out. I want you to hold it. Show me your wallet. I want to see your wallet. Okay, bring them out. I did this one time. I'm not going to do it again. I asked everyone to pass their wallet to their friend. And then I received the offering. Have you noticed it's easier to give from someone else's wallet? <laughs> we have one of the best offerings we've ever had, right? Yeah, rack up that credit card charge. Okay, this wallet 
I don't want you to think money here. I want you to think about the importance of it. You know why I know it's important? Have you ever forgot your wallet? Come on. And you panicked? Oh, my God. Have you ever been at the grocery counter with $100-plus dollars worth of groceries? And you're going to pay the bill, and you go looking for your wallet, and you don't have it? Don't you feel great? Everyone's looking at you like, how could you forget your wallet? You know, the clerk's looking at this pile of stuff going, oh, great, now I've got to clean up after you. You know, and now you know, you're running home. I mean, haven't you ever been pulled over by a police officer who says, I'd like to see your driver's license, and you forgot your wallet? I didn't realize that it doesn't matter for him, but it was sure an uncomfortable moment because it looked like I was a bad guy. Because only good guys have their wallets. Bad guys always forget their wallets. And when you look at your wallet, there's a lot of important stuff in this. I mean, I got credit cards in here. This is my key to a lot of purchases in life, right? Because who uses money anymore? Right? Credit cards. Um, and then I've got my identification here. I've got, you know, I'm asked, like, I go to the hospital, they want to see my identification, my insurance. That seems to be more important than my health is my insurance card. <laughs> and now I have a new identifier in my wallet that I was told by the doctor, you keep this in your wallet. This is my identifier that I have a pacemaker. I said, Why? He said, all paramedics and rescue personnel are trained to go into your wallet and see if you have this because they want to know exactly what pacemaker you have so they can properly help you. And he said, never leave home without this. Can I tell you this? Never leave home without your wallet? Let me add it even more. Never leave home without your faith. Because I believe... If we're honest and genuine, some of us leave home without faith. We go to work and we left our faith in the drawer. And all of a sudden we, oh, I forgot my wallet. Forgot my faith. We come across situations and we weren't really faithful. I want you to be reminded every time you look at your wallet, to be reminded a small thing is a big thing in your life. Because this speaks to your faith. And how powerful this wallet contains the things of your faith. Your faith contains the key to miracles. Your faith contains the key to wisdom. Your faith contains so much of life for us. The Lord said that he is always with us. And I believe that coming into this new season, I think one of the biggest problems in the church today, seriously, is that we are not walking with faith. We have left our faith someplace else. So you and I are going to learn to carry faith with us at all times. Can you say amen to that? Amen. We're going to be careful to not be familiar with Jesus, but now see him as who he really is, an authority in our life. Some of us need to make that transition. You know, I, I spend a lot of time thinking about life. And then, like I said, there's some things I'm still trying to figure out. Uh, you're going to be hearing this for the next year or so. Hold on. Lots of illustrations here. But I'm trying to figure it out, you know, just like some of you are. And I'm just, just started. I was remembering some things. I, 
I do a lot of journaling. I have most of my life. And uh, I, I like, I need to write things down. It just helps me. And I process my thoughts that way. I'll never forget because I was remembering something that happened. I remember one of my sons, I won't say who. You have three choices. I'll let you pick whoever you want. Um, uh, was probably around four or five. And you remember the stuffed bears that had pull strings on it? Anyone remember those things where you'd pull on the string and then it would talk to you? And it was like the coolest thing ever. Well, my son had a bear like that. It's like a Pennington bear or something, and he had been given this. And he held on that bear like it, he could never let it go. It went everywhere with him, outside, inside, in the bed, traveled with it. It's like he could not sleep unless we brought that bear in the bed and we'd hear him playing with it. Well, like anything else, a toy like that, have you ever seen a, a toy fuzzy bear that's been used too much? Right? The fur is matted, it's dirty, it's smelly. It's like, how can you sleep with this thing? Right? It's like it hasn't had a shower or a bath in probably a year. At this point in time, this poor bear had lost an eye, couldn't even see very well. The pull string was broken. Everything was matted. So I went to my son. I said, we need to clean this thing up, fix it up, or get you a new one. He was not hearing anything about a new one, and he wasn't sure about cleaning this up and and making it look better and smell better, because I think he looked at me and said, Dad, I don't know if you're qualified to be a repairer of my teddy bear. <laughs> I said, no, I'm certified to repair teddy bears. It's okay. <laughs> so he kind of wouldn't let it go. I mean, it was kind of, I think he was lacking faith and confidence in this thing. I will never forget at one point, I mean, it was getting a little bit kind of like, okay, it's time to do something. So Mom walked in. With her, because moms have more authority than dads. Can you say amen to that? And she walked in and said to, to our son, Listen, we need to fix this bear, and we cannot fix this bear until you let it go. Now, I was listening to that. Pretty common sense words, but then the Spirit of God spoke to me because I was going through something. Isn't it amazing how God speaks to us in moments like that? And God spoke to me, Steve. We can't fix it, what I was going through, until you let it go. So God was going to fix my teddy bear because I had to let it go. I heard the Spirit of God speak to me to have faith, have faith in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit to let it go and trust in Him. God spoke those words again to me when I was in ICU at about 3 in the morning because I was struggling. I was scared. And I heard God say, let it go. Trust me. You're going to be okay. And that's part of the journey that I'm on right now. Trusting him and letting it go. Because that's what it means. I know God cares. There is no doubt in my mind that God cares. But now I've got to trust in this device that I'm not sure I yet fully trust. Although hearing the testimonies and hearing people talk about how well they're doing is very helpful. But I've got to live this. And I've got to trust God that everything that is happening right now is all what he has in his plans. Because I hear God saying, I'm not done with you. You have work to do. 
there are still things, there are still people to love. There is still wisdom to be given. There is still work to be done. I believe that. Trusting God is living a life of belief in and obedience to God, even when it's difficult and challenging. It's difficult and challenging right now. My life is very different than it ever has been. You know, it's interesting. Jesus warned us about this. You might recall John uh, 16, 33. I, I noted it for you. I've told you these things so that you may have peace. Talking about all the things we've been talking about, and especially John 14 and uh, 15 previous to that. And then he said something. I've told you these things so that you may have peace. Great. I want peace. And then he says this next sentence. In this world, you will have trouble. Wait, you just said I will have peace. Now you're saying I will have trouble. And then he says, third sentence, but take heart, I've overcome the world. (sighs) Well, okay, God, this is a little harder than I thought it would be. But I want your peace. Yes, there's trouble, but I will literally take heart. And I know you've overcome the world. You know, Jesus said to you and I, teach these disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, because he is the one in authority. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. As we close, what are you trying to control? What is it that you need to let go of? This is a journey of all human beings. And I know we all need to take a moment and say, God, forgive me for trying to control this person, this circumstance, this situation. And I hear God speaking clearly. Have faith. Trust me. And we give him all the control and all the credit. Because he deserves all the control and all the credit.